So let's open up our Bibles, please, to John 14. We're in this study on the Holy Spirit that I've titled The Parting Gift. And by the way, every week I'm preparing discussion questions for the message. You can go online and get them and use them in your small group or in your uh, family devotions. How many of you are old enough to remember collecting glass bottles? Now, I'm old enough to remember doing that as a boy. If you saw the video, you know I'm pretty old. But by the way, I thought that was an amazing video. And as you watched it, you had the same thought I did. He's always been good looking. So anyway, (laughs) when I was a boy, I would go down to see my grandparents. And I'd go out in the pastures or in the old wrecked cars. And I could find glass bottles. And I could take them down the corner. And they'd give me five cents. They'd give me a nickel for every bottle I turned in. So if you can remember that, you can appreciate this story of the little boy, and he's going around trying to collect bottles. And he goes to one home of the woman that everybody knows is the town grouch. And he knocks on the door, and she answered, and he said, do you have any gold Coke bottles? And she frowned and said, no. He said, well, do you have any old whiskey bottles? And now she really scowls and says, do I look like the kind of person that would have old whiskey bottles? So he studied her and said, well... Do you have any old vinegar bottles? Because we all understand this principle that whatever is inside you, when life collides with you, is going to spill out. Whether it's love or hate, whether it's peace or worry, whether it's patience or bitterness, whatever's in you is going to spill out. So, why doesn't the Holy Spirit Spirit spill out of more Christians. And I'm going to suggest it's because a lot of us have received a gift from Jesus that we still haven't unwrapped. I'm sure almost all of us have given or received a gift card to your favorite department store, to your favorite restaurant. Do you know why merchandisers love to sell gift cards? Because we're not good at redeeming them. The average American family has $300 of unused gift cards. From 2005 to 2011 in this country, $41 billion of gift cards went unredeemed. You received the gift, but you never experienced the blessing of the gift. And we saw last time that Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is the best gift ever. You'll never get a better present than the gift of God's presence. But have you experienced the blessing of the gift? So, it's the night before Jesus goes to the cross. And his disciples are with him, and he's asked them to leave everything. But now he's talking about leaving. Ten times in three chapters, he says, I'm going to go away. And so naturally, they're very sad. But Jesus isn't. Because he knows something they don't know. He said, it's really better that I leave so that I can send the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, I mean, verse 15 of chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, the world cannot accept him. 
Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for, now watch this, he lives with you and will be in you. And a few verses later, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And what we just read is the most anticipated promise in the Bible, and maybe the least celebrated promise in the church. I call it the dwell promise. Because you see, it's always been the desire of God to dwell intimately with His children. God's great goal is not salvation. That is the means to His great goal, which is fellowship. He's always wanted to dwell in uninhibited fellowship with His children. Now, the Bible says that at the very start He did... And the Bible says at the very end, he will again. Before sin entered the picture, after sin is removed from the picture, God is going to have his heart's desire, intimate fellowship with his children. But right now, how does a holy God dwell with unholy people? And you see that tension all through your Old Testament because the metaphors for God in the Old Testament all communicate that God as being holy is not approachable. The primary metaphor is fire. You remember the children of Israel look up and there's fire on the mountain, the presence of God, and they are afraid. And they ought to be. There's the pillar of fire over the camp in the wilderness. There is the fire that will descend from heaven and consume what's on the offering. Do you remember when Solomon dedicated the temple and he begged for the presence of God to come? Fire came down out of heaven and the glory of the Lord filled the place with such intensity that nobody could enter it. And the presence of the Lord entered into this room called the Holy of Holies and a veil was put up because you can't go in there. It's not safe for unholy people to be in the presence of holy God. Now you do have times in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God will visit a person but hardly ever remain because people keep choosing sinning over dwelling. And so in the Old Testament, you have visitation, but you don't have habitation until Jesus comes along. And he promises something completely different. He says, he has been with you. And he will be in you. And no religious leader ever made a promise like that about God. And how could Jesus do it? What is Jesus going to do the next day? He's going to go to a cross and he's going to die on that cross. And what's going to happen when he dies? That veil of that temple is going to be torn in two from the top to the bottom and presence access to holy God is going to be opened up through the death of Jesus what Jesus is going to do is he is going to cleanse us he's going to wash us with his blood he is going to impart his perfect righteousness to us 
He, by his death and resurrection, is going to make you and me fit to be temple of holy God. I'm not sure our minds can wrap around what I just said. Jesus said, it's better that I go away. Because what I'm going to do at that cross and what I'm going to do when I come out of that grave is I'm going to prepare you to be pure enough to have intimate fellowship with God. He is with you and he will be in you. When did that happen? Well, they all get together about 120 of them, and they wait like Jesus tells them to wait, and they're praying. And it says in Acts 2, that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be, now every Hebrew is going to see this next and know what it stands for. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. That separated and came to rest on each of them. Not just the apostles. All of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is huge. This is what the prophets have been looking forward to all through the Old Testament. This is God's desire. And we celebrate Bethlehem every year at Christmas. Emmanuel, God is with us. And we celebrate Good Friday and Easter, and we should. God is for us. But do you get what Pentecost is saying? That the God who was with us and the God who was for us is now God in us. And I'm wondering why we don't Celebrate Pentecost like we do Bethlehem and like we do Calvary. That the anointed one, that's what Christ means. The anointed one by virtue of our union with his death is giving us his anointing. That the parting gift of Jesus is not a book. It is the very indwelling of the presence of God. This is what Paul says in the book of Titus. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This was the main point of the very first gospel sermon. We sang it just a moment ago. We are Washed in his blood. We are born of his spirit. This is our story. This is our song. When that fire came down and rested on the mirror and says, what's going on here? The very first gospel sermon is explaining the coming of the Holy Spirit. And go read it for yourself. In the very first gospel sermon, Peter does not say Jesus is taking us to heaven. He said, Jesus is sending heaven to us. And he closed a sermon like this. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what happens when you're forgiven of your sins? What happens when you suddenly become 
holy. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So Jesus doesn't just pick and choose some special people for this gift. Everybody gets it. If you are saved, you have received the indwelling Holy Spirit. Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't even belong to Christ. That's why in the book of Acts, every time you meet somebody that says they believe in Jesus, but they don't have the Holy Spirit, it is a showstopper. And we've got to figure out what's going on. Because God never wanted to dwell in houses of wood and stone. He always wanted to dwell in temples of flesh and bone. And that's why every church is really a multi-site church. Because every Christian is a walking temple of God. And so, that takes us back to the very first question. Why isn't the Holy Spirit spilling out all over the place? And I think it's because the dwell promise is connected to what I call the fill principle. See, you are a Christian because you have been washed in the blood of Jesus. He has baptized you in the Holy Spirit. And by the way, in the Bible, it never says we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're baptized by Jesus in the Holy Spirit. He graciously pours out the Holy Spirit at our salvation. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For we were all baptized... That's a bad translation. The Greek word literally is in one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. That's why there is no command in the Bible for a Christian to get the Holy Spirit. But there is a command to let the Holy Spirit that you have, have full run of the house. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, back in chapter 1, Paul told that same church, verse 13, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So he's telling people that he already has said, have the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Spirit does not guarantee the filling of the Spirit. Because people and circumstances... And sin and just surviving life can drain your filling. Can I get an amen? And so in Acts chapter 2, they are baptized in the Spirit. They all are filled with the Spirit. They start to preach Jesus and it gets tough. 
They start to get arrested. They start to get threatened. In chapter 4, they pray to God for more courage. It says the room shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit that they had already received. To be filled means you're just under the control. You are under the influence. It's interesting. He contrasts it to being drunk. When you're drunk, you are under the influence of another agent. And Jesus says, now I've given you this gift. And I want you to experience the fullness of all that I'm offering to you. Because here's the reality. A lot of Christians have the gift. And they're not experiencing the blessing. Isn't it interesting in Acts chapter 6, um, they're having a problem with getting food distributed to the widows. The apostles say, we need to focus on prayer and ministry of the word. So they said, so pick some men who are full of the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, every ministry needs to be led by people full of the Holy Spirit. There is no ministry that should be done any other way. But isn't it interesting, pick some men who are full of the Holy Spirit, which implies some people weren't. So find the ones who are. So what about you? Are you living, experiencing the reality of the presence of Christ? Or do you still have a gift Waiting to be unwrapped. Paul says, be filled. Interesting verb. It's a command, okay? So it trumps everything. It's a matter of obedience. It's a plural verb, which means it's for everybody, not just for some. It's a present tense verb, which means it's continually being done. In other words, you can't live today on last week's filling. You have to constantly be renewing and refreshing yourself in the Holy Spirit. Because remember, Jesus sent the parting gift to help us. The Holy Spirit will not make you weird. He will help you to live like And love like Jesus. And one thing I've noticed. When people are full of the Holy Spirit. They don't have to go around telling everybody that they are. You can just tell. Because they are grace full. They are thankful people. They are peaceful people. They are joyful people. And when life collides with them, the character of Jesus spills out. And so the little girl left church and said, Mama, I didn't understand the preacher's sermon. He confused me. In what way, honey? Well, the preacher said that God is bigger than us. Is that right? That's right. But the preacher said that God lives inside us. Is that right? That's right. Well, Mama, if God is bigger than us and God lives inside us, then wouldn't God show through? And that's very good theology. 
And so today, the best way for an unbeliever to encounter the living God is not to walk into a temple, but to meet a walking temple of the Spirit of God. And sadly, we got too many temples out there that aren't full. Because of what I call the will priority. See, just because the Holy Spirit is imminent does not mean He is preeminent. And I can't decide which of these truths stuns me the most. The truth that God has sovereignly chosen to place His Spirit in me. Or the stunning truth that God then gives me the choice to decide whether or not I will allow the release of His Spirit into my life. That it's up to me and my will to determine if I am going to access this gift or not. And many of us have rooms in the house where the Holy Spirit is locked out. And this is not a knowledge problem, friends. This is a surrender problem. Because you're just like me. We like to lead more than we like to be led. And so we have places in our lives where we have said to God's Holy Spirit, you can't go in that room. I'm I'm in charge of that room. And that's why Paul would say in Galatians 5, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I've been encouraged by the feedback I've gotten so far to this series, but I have gotten a few comments that intrigue me. So let me, let me rant for a second. What do you mean when you say, well, I hope what Rick teaches on the Holy Spirit is balanced? Balanced. Do you mean, well, you know, I, I, want, I want some of the Holy Spirit. I just don't want to go too far and get too much. You can't have too much of God. Okay? I want God's Spirit and God's presence to be in every corner and every crevice of my life. Because the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is good. I don't want balance. I want takeover. There should be a huge difference. A tangible, noticeable, observable difference in a person in whom the Spirit of God lives and a person in whom He does not live. We were called to live supernatural lives. We should be living lives that simply are not 
impossible to live apart from the Spirit of God because the flesh can't produce that kind of living. And that's what I want. I want to live in such a way that you can't explain me except to give glory to God. But to do that, I have to let the Holy Spirit have the whole house, not just a guest room. Now, any metaphor for God is going to be inadequate, but I'm going to do my best. I want these two glasses of water to represent two lives. And the water inside is the spirit of a person. And both of these lives are going to accept Jesus and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the first person is going to receive the Holy Spirit. He's not going to access the gift. He's not going to surrender and release to the control of the Holy Spirit. And so when life collides with this person, it pretty much looks and feels and tastes like anybody else. But this person surrenders. This person opens the gift. And the presence of God begins to go everywhere and take over. And when life collides with this person, you get something that is noticeably different. See, you're either going to be full of God or full of yourself. And the latter is very unfulfilling. Now, I want to talk first to those of you online and in this room. In whom the Spirit of God does not live. And the Spirit of God does not live in you because you are not a fit temple for His presence. And you never will be until Jesus cleans you. And so you need to come and claim Jesus as Savior. Agree with who He said He was, Son of God. You need to identify with his death and resurrection. And in your claiming the anointed one, you are cleansed and capable of receiving the anointing. If you've never accepted Christ, you've never been baptized, you need to do that. Today would be a good day. But now let me talk to the rest of you. Especially if this is you. You've received the Holy Spirit. But there's no real noticeable difference between you and any decent person down the street. Here's why. You haven't opened the gift. I just want you to ask yourself that question. Have I opened the gift? And the key is not to feel guilty and try harder. That verb, 
It's a command. It's plural. It's present. It's passive tense. It's what God does to you. The key is to surrender. It's to get honest before God and say, okay, God, that room there where all the lust lives, I haven't let you in that room. I haven't let you in the room where I keep all my bitterness and all my fear and all my worry. I haven't really let you in that room where I keep my temper. And you repent and you surrender. And God is eager to do what is best for his children. You have the Holy Spirit. The question does the Holy Spirit have you? So, uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray over you and we're going to sing a song of worship. This is the moment for some of you to come and get baptized today. Get cleansed and receive the gift. This is the moment for some of you to come. Confess, get vulnerable with some other brothers and sisters. We're going to have prayer teams up in the balcony and down here at the front. And this is the day for you to do business with God. Say, I'm tired of being this person. I want to be this person. Let's all stand up. If you're on a prayer team, take your place. Bow your head and just right now, ask the Lord to reveal to you the part of your life where the Spirit's been locked out. Be honest. The Holy Spirit's good. You don't have anything to be afraid of. Right now, in your own words, why don't you tell God you're going to unlock the door? So, God, in the powerful name of Jesus, we request the full blessing of the Holy Spirit. I'm praying today that people will have the courage to respond to His prompting. They will come and ask for prayer. They will come and ask to be baptized. They will come and ask to be filled. Because we want to be temples people can encounter the Spirit of God. So for Jesus' sake, we request...